of the Bolt from the Blue podcast. We told you in the last poll that it wouldn't be very long before we would be assaulting your ears again. And here we are, the three of us, Mike Long, a.k.a. Bolt from the Blue, from the Bolt from the Blue podcast. And we have our two regular Bolt from the Blue men with us. The first one that I want to introduce is City Fan TV YouTube producer Ray. Ray, how are you doing? I'm a bit up and down, like the old roller coaster. You know, this this tie, we we lost the game yesterday, so that's got me down a little bit. Uh, never like to see us lose. Uh, but um, overall, uh, we're through to the final. So uh, on average, I'm, I'm pretty happy. We also have Mr. Colin Savage, who you guys will know as the guy who writes the great pieces in the King of the Kipaks magazine. And he is the City Matters Committee member and a city financial expert that we've had on. We've been going for over a year, guys. We've got over a 100 pods. We're going pretty well. And Colin Savage has been with us for pretty much most of that time. How are you doing, Colin? I'm, I'm doing great, thanks to say. I was... Um We'll talk about the game in a minute. It was a little bit of a strange game last night, and I think I was a bit puzzled when I got home, but as Ray said, we, we lost the battle, but we won the war. We've got another trip to Wembley, which I'm looking forward to immensely. Class, yeah. Mike. Uh, uh, sorry, have we, done, have we done one pod per year that Colin's been on this good, uh, gracious <laughs> <laughs> I think we certainly have. As as people know, the, 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 the podcast was birthed by myself and city fan legend Walter Smith. As you know, Walter is a man with um, three young daughters. He's got very much uh, limitations on his time. And luckily 
luckily we had uh, two guys who stepped up to fill the breach, and here they are, Ray and Colin. I'm going to start off with Colin Savage. I'm interested in you, Colin, because on your Twitter page, you've got this wonderful um, header picture, Winslow, Arizona. And uh, guess what? Parked outside is a flatbed Ford. Now, for young young, uh, listeners to the pod, we'll probably not know what that means, but um, given the fact that we had this awful game, but that we still got through to the final, I guess your your maxim for this pod, Colin, is take it easy, take it easy. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, yes, that's a picture I took myself. And for those who don't understand it, um, and I can't be, I hope there aren't many, there's a very famous song which was well, uh, written by uh, the Eagles and Jackson, Graham Frey of the Eagles and Jackson Brown jointly. And the song is Take It Easy. And uh, there's a great line in it. I'm standing on the corner in Winslow, Arizona. It's such a fine sight to see. I'm not going to There's a girl, my lord, in a flatbed Ford looking, um, trying to have a look at me. Just trying to remember the name. And what, why I took that picture, obviously I was in Winslow, Arizona. Uh, and I explained briefly, my son lives in Phoenix. So I've been visiting him for a couple of weeks. We've had other people around for the first week. The second week, I was on my own with my son and daughter-in-law. They were going back to work, college, whatever. Uh, and I didn't fancy being kind of stuck in the house with the dog all day. Not anything wrong with the dog. But um, I thought the weather, it was November. It was Thanksgiving, so it was late November, getting to early December. And while Phoenix itself is quite warm, the, the weather further north where I wanted to go is uh, can be very variable at that time of year. So from snow to uh, rain, you know, winds. But this particular time, the week I was there, the weather was going to be good. So uh, there's lots of things I want to see up that neck of the woods, Monument Valley, place called Antelope Canyon, Horseshoe Bend, and, and to stand on the corner in Winslow, Arizona, to, to, to uh, being of a certain age, having grown up with the Eagles and Jackson Brown. And um, that was one of the things I wanted to do. Uh, and there's another place called the Petrified Forest that I wanted to see. So uh, my son was quite worried about me going off on my own because I hadn't driven uh, in, uh, apart from one trip where we picked up a, a car at the airport and I'd followed him home. So but that was OK. But I hadn't driven on my own. So he was a bit nervous and it was a nice bit of role reversal because when if anyone who's got kids who have learned to drive, when they pass the test and they go off on their own for the first time, you're, you're incredibly nervous. Will they do something stupid? But this was a nice bit of role reversal, as I said, because my son was worried about me driving in a foreign country on my own. I had driven in the States before very briefly. But anyway, it, it, it wasn't. So he, he sort of tried to talk me out of it. Do you really want to do this? And well, yeah, wouldn't you be better? Start? I said, no, you know, I'm, I might never get the chance to do this, these things again. I, I'm going to do it. And, and to be honest, I was a bit nervous because, of, of course, driving on the on the, the right, so the left or so the right, whichever side they drive driving up there, uh, the right, isn't it? Yeah. And um, I thought, I'm going to do it. You know, I'm a middle-aged man, I've got to do this. How hard can it be? And it wasn't, because all you had to do was um, hire a car from the airport, uh, went from where he lived at that time, his move sent, I literally had to turn left onto the main road, and then turn left again two blocks down, and then I'm on the road up to the old Route 66, Interstate 40 it is now, and the delights of northern Arizona. So that, that wasn't difficult. And, and of course, the difficult thing is doing the turns when you're driving on the wrong side of the road. So just remember to stay on the on the right. Uh, so, so that's the only difficult thing. Anyway, not a problem. You know, drive out, do the turn, and it's just a straight road up to Route 66. And um, Phoenix's desert is quite flat, a little bit features, apart from the mountains. It's quite spectacular in some ways. Then you start climbing. When you come out of Phoenix, you start climbing. And, and, and you're going up to about five, six, seven, eight thousand 8,000 feet of points uh, up to northern Arizona because it's quite a high plateau. 
And there's some nice scenery, uh, but there's not much in the way of roads. And there was a turn off I had to take to get to the petrified forest, and I missed it. So I've been driving about two and a half hours, and, and um, I, you know, you need a stop. You need to go to the toilet and want a drink. It was about lunchtime. And I'm coming into a town, so I thought, oh, I'll stop here. Find find somewhere to have a drink and a, and a wee and stop here. So I came into this town. I won't spoil the story just yet. And um, parked the car. Saw a coffee shop, parked the car, got out and uh, walked towards the coffee shop. As I'm walking to the, the coffee shop, I realise I'm in Winslow. And right across the road from me is that picture you can see. Uh, it's called Standing in the Corner Park. And they've got a statue of uh, Jack, Jackson Brown now, uh, Glen Frey originally of the Eagles. And they've got the flatbed Ford truck sat uh, there outside it. And as I'm just about to go into the coffee shop, I thought I'd better let my son know I'm OK because he was worried. And I knew he'd be worried. So I sent him a message to say, just to let you know, I'm, I'm OK. Phase one of the journey complete. Uh, n- no problems. So he sent me a, a message back. Where are you? So I got to send the immortal message. Well, I'm standing on the corner in Winslow, Arizona, as it happens. Uh, so that was, so this, this kind of led to it. Just telling this story led to the title of the um, uh, of, of the pod. And, and having been a bit a little bit upset last night, uh, you know, if we'd done this last night and I might have a bit of a rant, I'm now taking it a bit easy. But the question we want to ask you, Colin, was, was there a girl stopping to take a look at you? Well, there is a girl sat in, uh, there was a dummy girl sat in the flatbed for the thing, or I, I think there's a painting of one on the, the shop front of, uh, by it with a girl sat in it. So, <laughs> yeah. sorry, just to finish the story. Yeah. I had my coffee, took the pictures, took the selfies. But and, uh, going to northern Arizona, there is not very much at all. So I thought I'd better fill it. I had half a tank. And, and I've got um, an SUV, big SUV, Dodge or something SUV, a Toyota, I think it was, Toyota Land Cruiser, eating fuel like crazy. So I thought I'd better fill up before I head north. I've got about a similar two-hour trip to do. Better fill up. So I pull into that gas station, which is just off Route 66. I'm, I'm driving down Route 66 through Winslow and see a gas station, fill up, fill up, do whatever I need to do. Pull out of the gas station onto the side road to take me back onto Route 66, Interstate 40. And I see a car coming towards me and I realise I am on the wrong side of the road. So that was a bit of a, a bit of a wake up call, really. I got a bit complacent. <laughs> well, guys, I can confirm that um, Colin's son had uh, nothing to worry about. Uh, Colin, we were, we're, we're talking tonight about the Carabao Cup or the EFL Cup or the League Cup as people saw it. Do you remember who drove me home after our last um, League Cup uh, final win? I certainly do, yes, yes, and uh, I'm just debating whether to do the same again. Absolutely. I mean, if it hadn't been for that train mess up at Wembley, uh, we, we stood there for about an hour and a half, weren't we, waiting we, for the train? We were, we were, so, so I could... That would have been actually quite a good, been back well before midnight, but I think it was about <laughs> one by the time I dropped everyone off and got you back and got home, so... Yeah, that was a very, very pleasant memory, and I can tell you there's nothing wrong with Colin's driving skills. He was smooth, smooth. <laughs> and someone else who is smooth is uh, Ray. But what, what was maybe not smooth for a lot of City fans, uh, Ray, was we heard the lineup uh, shortly before the game. I'm just going to run through it. We had uh, Bravo, of course. We expected that. Walker, Otamendi, Cancelo, De Bruyne, Gundogan, uh, Bernardo Silva, Rodri, Sterling, Mares. Mares was substituted for David Silva on 68 and uh, Sergio Aguero. And uh, Ray, people were wondering, what kind of formation is this? <laughs> well, we were wondering as well. I, I did a a live stream at the game um, when the team news came out. We're trying to work out with the with the viewers 
Are we going to play forward at the back with Rodri at the back with Otamendi? Is Cancelo going to play on the left uh, as a left fullback? Is Walker going to be on the right? Or could we even go with uh, three at the back with uh, simply Otamendi at the back, uh, Cancelo on the left and uh, Walker on the right with two DMs in Gundogan and Rodri? I quite like that idea of two DMs uh, because I, I said well, United are rubbish. Well, let's, let's be honest about it. United are not a very good side at all. They might be sat in fifth. They might be sat in fifth, but after last night's results, uh, they, there's something like, was it 36 points behind the leaders? So fifth is still a long, long way behind. Um, so they're not a very good good side. And their most potent threat, Rashford, uh, who's, who's noted as their most potent threat, he wasn't playing. Um, he's injured. Um, I, if, if we have time, I'll tell you a story about Islamani and his stats comparing them to Rashford, just to see how potent Rashford really is, because he's not much better statistics-wise than uh, Islam Slimani, who United were, were linked to in the transfer window as a new forward. So if United are potentially going to attack us that much, do we need more than three at the back? And uh, that's how it, it, it seemed to be at the start of the game. Three players at the back were played with one defender, which can um, give you a little bit of the willies when that defender is Otamendi, Nicholas Otamendi, uh, the guy who can dive in almost as good as Tom Daly. Um, but, you know, United didn't really pose us that much trouble. So, I mean, we could have gone with two at the back, I think, for the amount of efforts that United were in, as an attacking force. Colin Savage, let me just read you a very brief uh, summary of the game from Dion Dublin, former Manchester United striker. And uh, this is what he said about the game. And uh, hopefully you'll pick up the, the positive and the negative points of his summary. But here's what he said. City played all right tonight. It was organization and concentration that saw them through. But they also had a lot of the ball and played some really pretty football. It was just in the final third where they were not as deadly as usual. But I don't think that was down to City being awful. It was more United being set up in a way that made it difficult to break them down. They went five at the back when they were out of possession. And Matic did not move from Maguire's toes. So they were very tight and there was no gaps for City to play through them. From United's point of view, well, they're out, but I can see why their manager, Solskjaer, was uh, still quite happy with tonight's result. If you can win at the Etihad, regardless of being 3-1 down from the first leg, then you've done something right. They can take a lot of heart from this performance, and now they need to build on it. Now, what would you say about that analysis, Colin? Well, I think it breaks down from City played all right tonight. I mean, at times we were all right, uh, but I don't think we struggled to break United down. I think we were just exceptionally poor in front of goal. Um, and it, there, were, there were times when we were really stuttering quite badly, a number of two or three, uh, well, more than two, three, four passes that were just to no one or um, hit really badly and... Um, crosses over hit or free kicks over hit and you know I, I don't think we played all right uh, maybe just about all right but we were we were poor um yeah you know i don't think united were brilliant defensively Maguire made a lot of mistakes um you know, he doesn't look like an 80 million pound player um but if they're happy with that and it keeps Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in a job, who are we to criticise? Now, let's stay with you on that, Colin, because you made a few acerbic comments on Twitter. And um, I think one of the most popular ones you can tell us about, about the fact that you think that this may have been some kind of conspiracy theory. Yeah, well, you know, I, I came back and thought about it and I thought, um, you know, saw the uh, a very smiling, happy Ole Gunnar Solskjaer 
uh, post-match press conference when I got home on the uh, recorded highlights. And um, I, I, I'm beginning to think that um, I started thinking, was this a very cunning plan to, you know, to give him a, a little bit of a boost and to keep him in a job because that he's the best manager from our point of view. He's the best manager they could have at the moment. And of course, um, and, and City fans, City fans obviously joined in this plot because we were singing um, Ed Woodward, we want you to stay, and there's only one Ed Woodward instead of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, we want you to stay. So if we sung that, the Glazers might have got a hint that we were, you know, taking the mickey out of, of, of Port Ole. But I think we played an absolute blinder, both the fans and the team, in that sense, played an absolute blinder last night, uh, because he'll come out of there strengthened, there's no doubt about it, which is exactly what we want to happen. So, uh, great job by all. My goodness, uh, if I wasn't going to play a little bit of the Eagles before this pod, I might be tempted to run with a clip from uh, Baldrick and um, Blackadder it, it seems like a a, a fantastic uh, a fantastic plan ray but the first uh, 15 minutes or so were pretty dynamite just terrible finishing yeah we had uh, a lot of uh, chances and it, it's one of those where you start off it looked pretty pretty good uh, we had three or four very um, decent chances uh, i think if we scored one of the goal, one of the from one of those chances the tie would have been over and I think United could have been over because we, we could have. Uh, and and it, it always feels City on the cusp of giving somebody a good old-fashioned beating. Um, and we scored from one of those early chances. I mean, within the first 10 or 12 minutes, Gundogan, nice cross to the far post for Aguero, diving header, saved by uh, David De Gea. It, I think it was, for, maybe I'm doing him a disservice, but I think it was pretty routine. It was a nice height to save, but obviously it was called world-class um, afterwards by the commentators. Uh, Aguero had a near-post shot that was poured away by De Gea, another one that he should save. Maris had uh, an opportunity um, where he cut inside. It was, the shot was deflected. Uh, I think De Gea saved it with his foot. Uh, so there were three or four pretty good chances. Uh, United... They looked uh, as what I thought. They are what they are as a team. They look poor. Um, you know, as I said earlier on, they might be sat in fifth place, but they're so far behind uh, Liverpool and so far behind City um, and, and, and uh, Leicester City as well. So they're not a great team. They didn't really um, even flicker into life. They relied on, uh, I think they were just simply relying on City mistakes. Uh, uh, you know, at the back, if, if we made any, they were relying on uh, breakaways and they were relying on uh, dead ball situations. And City, uh, to their discredit, assisted them with the latter. Uh, we went through a phase where we just kept giving them free kicks just outside our box. You can't keep doing that, even against poor teams, because poor teams still have, they still have good players. They might be set up poorly and the organisation might not be great. The motivation might be down. The confidence levels might be low. But they still got good players. And, uh, you know, um, from one of those um, free kicks, they scored their goal. Uh, stop the press. Stop the press, guys. Just while we've been doing this uh, pod live uh, on air, we've got a question for Colin Savage. And, um, oh, yeah, I know he normally gets the worst ones. But um, I guess this guy must be um, pretty much our age, Colin, because he... Let me paraphrase it because it's quite long. Um, first of all, Colin, do you remember the darts player Eric Bristow? Yep. Do you remember how you remember how do, do you remember how dominant he was in the darts world at one time? Absolutely, yeah. Do you remember what finished his career? It was no, something. It, it was something called the yips. The yips. The yips. Um, could you the yips. Exp, could you explain, Ray? What is the yips? 
Yeah, the yips most commonly uh, is referred to, uh, it's a golf, it, I think it's come from golf, the golf term when uh, you can have a very, very uh, good professional putting, which is based, should be your final shot on the on the green. When it comes to putting, they suddenly uh, develop this um, nervousness, whether it's a tick, uh, whatever it is, where they just lose confidence and they end up kind of shaking. Um, um, so they, they can't, um, you know, go through with their shot properly. Um, so it's just, I think the definition is a, a state of extreme nervousness that causes a golfer to miss an easy putt. Put that, uh, translate that into uh, darts, and he just couldn't, you know, throw the dart properly. He was just too nervous. It's an unexplained loss of skill because Eric Bristow was a fantastic, uh, least, he was a fantastically skillful darts player. He won the, I'm just trying to, he won the World Dart Championships about uh, ten times. He was, different. He, he was the Steve Davis basically of the of the of the darts world. Absolutely. You remember? Absolutely. You, remember you remember the you would see the um the photographs uh, younger guys uh, on TV when um he was going for the night the nine dart finish and. You would see um, a split screen in the dartboard on one side, his handsome face on the other, and you would see his eyes beadily focused down on the next number that he needed to hit. But, um, uh, yeah, towards the end of his uh, career, as magnificent as he was, he developed the yips. Ray, could you translate that into football terms uh, for our listener who has asked this question? What's the question again? You want to explain the yips? He was saying... Do City have the yips when they play in high-pressure games against teams that they're expected to beat? Um, I don't think there's many, um, but, so, but you've got to look. Well, if you look back over the last three or four years, some of the games where we've, um, you know, yeah, failed to score when we've had lots of opportunities or failed to perform. And you look at, um, there's a team that give us the yips, that's Liverpool. They always give us the yips. We always struggle against them. Would that, would, would, would they be the equivalent of, um, John Lou or Jockey Wilson? <laughs> well, they're, they're basically a bogey team. Um, they are, I mean, although we did beat them in a, a nice 5-0 in that centurion season, um, but, uh, they are our bogey team. But then there are bogey matches. You've got games like Spurs in the Champions League. Um, last season, we were miles better than Spurs, yeah? And if it was a league game, we would have probably beaten them comfortably. But in Champions League, something happened. We imploded. We totally cocked it up. Against Monaco, another high-profile game, Champions League uh, three seasons back, you know, winning 5-3 after the first leg, we kind of imploded again in the second leg. There have been several games, you know, over the four seasons, especially that Pep's been here, where we've suddenly imploded and, and not looked like anything like the sort of team that we are. And it happened a little bit yesterday. You know, we're missing lots of chances. At, at, at times after they scored, we looked a little bit ragged, um, you know, a little bit panicky. Uh, and that's that's always a, a concern for me because sometimes I feel if we let one goal in, we can very quickly let a second goal in uh, with that uh, hitting that panic mode, giving the other teams a little bit of confidence to to go as a bit more. Um, so yeah, we we do have this, and, and, and people have talked about Pep and saying, well, does Pep overthink these games? You know. He changed the way we play against Liverpool. He changed the way we play against Monaco or Spurs in the Champions League. He, in some big, big games, he changes things around a little bit. 
And when they work, it's fantastic. You know, the first leg of the, this, this game, uh, this Carabao Cup semi-final, in that first half, basically that's what won us the game. Well, what, what won us the tie? We were magnificent with this different formation that totally bamboozled and flummoxed Man United. Their players didn't know which way to turn. Um, and sometimes it, when it works, it's absolutely fantastic. And we talk about the class of Pep and the genius and how he's the best tactician and manager in the world. And when it doesn't work, well, you know, we go, some fans go a little bit too far. We go the opposite way and say, we're not happy. Why did we change this? You know, why, when we were playing so well and winning games and playing handsomely, why did we switch things around? Why does Pep overthink situations? Colin Savage, um, you've talked about this before, but um, a lot of City fans, and, and I was one of them, was a little bit disappointed that Phil Foden wasn't uh, in the starting 11 because, um, well, in this particular situation, you want someone that's hungry and willing to run and commit defenders. And he was a loss, I think, for us. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I think he deserved a chance. We had a two-goal lead. Um, the, the key to um, winning that the tie was, well, but, and or uh, not conceding or scoring another goal or two. And I think Phil Foden would have uh, given us that chance, particularly when you've got Raheem Sterling, you know he's out of form. Um, uh, and Sterling didn't do anything, well, he did a lot last night to, to make, the, make the position worse, didn't he? That's so, the question I've got for you, Colin. Why, why does Pep not see that you bench a player that's out of form? Uh, and Raheem Sterling is out of form. Well, I mean, there's two schools of thought on that, isn't there? There's the, the, the school that you, you know, you take him out of the firing line because continually putting him in those situations isn't helping, I don't think. And I think that's the right thing. I think that would be the right thing for Raheem. Take him out of the firing line, you know, bring him on for 10, 15 minutes in a couple, you know, in a couple of games time, get his confidence, get his confidence up on the training pitch. And people said it had, it, it's to do with Mikel Arteta leaving. I, I know Arteta worked with Sterling a lot, but, you know, we've got people who can work with Raheem Sterling to get his confidence up, you know, get him in situation. It's about training the mind, isn't it? To hit that ball first time. And maybe he's doing it on the training ground, but not when he comes out on the pitch. We don't know. The, the other school of thought is that you get a player, it's interesting, if anyone's ever read a book called, um, I think, Only, Only a Game by Eamon Dunphy. Yeah, yeah. And it tells these last few months at Millwall. And, um, Obviously, you know, when you're talking, when a footballer's talking, you, you tend to listen about what life is like off the pitch and what goes on on the training pitch and stuff like that. So, um, and what Dunphy said in the book was, if someone's having a bit of a mare, the, the way to get round it is just hit a few simple passes. You know, just get your confidence back slowly. Hit a few balls, you know, get into a rhythm of, of passing and receiving and passing and receiving. And uh, Sterling's not that sort of player, really, passing and receiving. Um, you know, he's doing the he's doing the seemingly simple things okay, but he just he just doesn't seem to know what to do when he gets on the pitch. And I think I think we should be taking him out of the firing line. I think we, you know someone should be working with him on the training pitch, getting him to hit balls first time. You know, to be more incisive in his striking, to take players on. He's running into blind alleys far too many times. He's taking one too many touch. Almost every time he receives the ball in a dangerous position, we saw that last night. Uh, there was one incident last night where he just let the ball, a simple ball, run under his foot out for a throw-in. And, um, you know, it can't be helping him, exposing him to that sort of thing. Just get him out of there. Get him, you know, let him sit out a couple of games. Say, work with him on the training pitch. Get him on for 15, 20 minutes in a game that we've got one. And then get, you know, get him back into it slowly. 
Can I give you some stats, Mike and uh, Colin? Uh, William yeah. Sterling. Okay, that's all this morning. Now, I personally, um, to preface my stats, I personally believe Sterling has been uh, a, a bit of a letdown since sometime in September. Um, when he went away on international duty with England, the first time we played four or five games for City, he was on fire. He played really well in the games for England. You mean when he was linked with Real Madrid? Even before then. Uh, but, yeah, subsequently he was linked with Real Madrid. I saw an article, I think, last October or November about that link. Um, so, Sterling was on fire. He was regularly being talked about as one of the top three or five players in the world, you know, only just behind Ronaldo and Messi. And that's not a bad place to be because you're, you're the, basically you're the best player in the world because those two guys are the best players in the universe. Um, so Sterling was elevated to such a high level and he was performing at such a high level that you couldn't argue too much and disagree too much with that. He went away with England, played well, came back to City and I I, I don't think he was playing as well. He was still scoring a few goals because he was still getting into good positions to get those tap-ins and, and, and to score and to create a few chances. Ray, he also, got, he also got this enormous boot contract for like, like yeah. un, untold millions as well, I think. He's got a... Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to be crude and say it's the money that's leading him. You know, he's get, suddenly become one of the most marketable people uh, on the planet. We're talk, there was talking about a 10-year deal worth a billion pounds or something with Nike. Absolutely crazy. Um, but, yeah, look, good good luck to the lad. He got a new contract with City in 2018, I believe, uh, uh, worth a lot more money. Uh, and this, there was talk about trying to renegotiate in 2019 because he'd had, he was playing so well. So that's the preface. It's, you know, it's fantastic. It's got nothing to do with Arteta. I think it predates the second international break when they had the problems with the softy Joe Gomez, uh, who, uh, anyway, let's not go into that. I'm a crybaby. Um, but it predates all that. I'm, I'm going back to September. That's when I personally first felt he's not playing as well as he was before. Now, here are some stats. And to make it simple, these stats are split between August and October and November and January. You know, trying to do it about three months at a time. Okay. Obviously, remember, we played a little bit less time in August. Now, I'll just quickly tell you, August to October, he played almost January, he played just over 1,500 minutes, almost the same. August to October, 17 goals and eight assists, involving 25 goals. November to January, seven goals, one assist. He's gone down from 25 goals and assists to one, sorry, to eight goals and assists. Key passes, August to October, 40 and four man of the match performances. November to January, 21 key passes, zero man of the match performance. Now that's a massive decline. And I actually think he's, he was, he'd already declined in October. But just looking at those two periods in isolation, you know, he's half as good in the last three months as he was in the first three months. And that's massive for City because he's, he, in the first uh, couple of months of the season, he was a, a massive, uh, he was a, of massive importance to City. We'd lost to Mary Laporte. We, you know, in defence, crucial to our defence. We needed our midfielders and our attackers to step up. And it looked like Raheem was stepping up at the, uh, at the beginning of that period. But that decline has hurt us. And I think it's hit us badly. Colin Savage, how much are you buying the theory about Arteta's departure on Raheem's performance? His decline started before Arteta went. Maybe he's had some impact. I don't know. Maybe the person who could pull him out of this funk um, isn't there anymore. But um, I think it started well before Arteta um, left us, really, didn't it? Just stay with Colin for a second. Two people that must be licking their lips about this decline in form is, first of all, Mares, who has eclipsed Sterling in the last uh, 
few months, and also Leroy Sané, who must be chomping at the bit. What do you think about those those two players and what they must be thinking at this point? Well, Morris must be laughing because I know uh, I'm just reading Vincent Kutney's book he did with Ian Cheeseman about the treble winning season and, and, and Vincent was saying that he was talking to Tamarez a lot on the bench and saying, Don't worry, you'll get your chance. Just keep your head down, work hard, you'll get your chance. And he's got his chance. And I'm sure he feels for Raheem Sterling, but it's great for him because he's now he's now become the first name on the team sheet, hasn't he? Um uh, in that you know, wide position. And Leroy must be pretty uh, pretty optimistic about his chances of getting back in, mustn't well, he? Well, well, obviously, we don't know what's going to happen with Leroy, do we? Um, we, we don't well, know I what's going to happen. I think we, we've got a good idea what might happen in the summer, but we're talking about to the end of the season. That was that was my focus. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, he must be looking forward to getting back in the team because he can see... Well, I mean, one of, the re- one of the reasons he was frozen out a little bit kind of towards the end of last season was, was supposedly his attitude and his... You know, his, his um, Commitment during games, and maybe to the club, uh, maybe his head was turned. Now, so he's going to get over that. But he can see that if he does um, start to come back, he can easily knock Sterling uh, out of that left p- position. And we've said before, it's probably not Sterling's best position. But but you, you, you know, uh, there are people now saying, why isn't Mara starting? You know, when Mara has been one of our best players. So um, yeah. Uh, He's got some work. Yeah, we know he can do it. But but maybe that a few people are saying maybe it's the lack of competition that's that's making him a bit complacent. I I, I don't say it's complacency. I just say it is, as we talked about. He's got the yips at the moment, and um, and you think one of the things I I think back to is his final season at Liverpool, where he was agitating, or or Ad Ward, his agent was agitating for him to to come to City, and. Um, his performances dropped off a cliff, I think, that last season, didn't they, from what they had been. And you do perhaps wonder if he is planning another move. And, and this is his kind of reaction to that. I don't know. Perhaps I'm being a bit um, well, conspiratorial there, maybe. But it will be a huge move if if, if, you, if Real Madrid come knocking. If you, know, you go back to last autumn when there was a story in, I read it in Business Insider, you know, <laughs> No, no football pages for me. Uh, you can tell how I used to be an accountant. Business insider. And they're talking about Raheem Sterling uh, in a swap move with Gareth Bale and about $100 million coming our way. And they're valuing Sterling at well over $200 million. And if, if Sterling, look, if he goes to Real Madrid, he's going to, uh, his um, income is going to just absolutely go through the stratosphere. Because I don't think Real Madrid will pay him anything less than half a million a week if they're going to pay that. Look at that sort of deal for him. But, but Ray, but Ray, there was yeah. one. Th- there was one. <coughs> excuse me. There was one comment um, that I remember very, very uh, well from Walter Smith, and in the, uh, the the sort of the first five or six uh, editions of this pod, he was saying, you know, he would he would be very, very well advised not to go to Madrid because at City, when he plays badly as he has been for the last um, two, three months, City fans overlook it. And to quote Walter, he says that if he did that at Madrid, they'd be jumping on top of his car. Look what they're doing to Gareth Bale, the fans, yeah. and what they've done to Gareth Bale. But look, there's lots of things for Raheem. I think Nero Sani coming back will put pressure on him. I think it's inevitable unless you... 100% focused, maybe even 101% focused, um, that you could lose a little bit of your edge because there's no competition. And the people who said Sterling, Sterling might be better on the right, but he's still putting very good numbers on the left. We see some dazzling performances cutting in from um, the left. 
the right place at the right time. So he still has put some good numbers in playing on the left. Um, but if, if Sane comes back, I mean, Sane's got to look at this and say, this is a great opportunity. Yes, he might still leave City um, in the summer. And I, I think it's, you know, I'm more on the Bayern side of the fence than City. I think he's more likely to go there than stay here. But he could just say, look, I could either go uh, out on a whimper uh, or I could go out on a high. We've got the Carabao Cup final coming up in a few weeks' time. Could he get in and push Sterling out of that side? You know, we've got the FA Cup run. All right, maybe he's not massively interested in that. But we've still got the Champions League run. We've got games against Real Madrid. Massive games. And could Sani get in? Now, I think, I'm just looking at Sani here for, an in, for a minute. But he's now training with the lads. So he's gone from training on his own 10 days ago uh, and now he's training with the boys. How long before he's actually ready for a game? We look at someone like Mendy. Pep would, I think when Mendy was fully fit, he, he needed another three weeks. He just needed that extra time. When Lampard was fully fit, I'll cross into, uh, into the breach. Now, um, San is training on his own now. It could well be uh, that... On the 9th of um, January, on the 9th of January, uh, which is almost two weeks after he started training with the lads, I think he's, he was training early this week with the boys. We're playing a, a home game in West Ham. Now, you'd think we'd probably beat, we, we, you'd like to think we could beat West Ham quite comfortably. That could be an ideal game for, get, for signing to get a few minutes at the end. Then we've got the winter break, um, and on, on our next game is on the 22nd against Leicester away. It might be Sani gets a few more minutes there. Then we've got the two big games. We've got Real Madrid on the 26th and the Carabao Cup final on the 1st of March. Now, it could be, and I'd hope it will be, that Leroy Sani looks at these and says, hey, you know, if I pull my finger out, I can be involved in all of this. And a week after the Carabao Cup final, I think we've got a derby at Man- uh, United. So there's all the, there are all these big games. And I think we'll find out how committed he is um, to actually, you know, trying to get back to his best to show everybody what we're going to lose or what Bayern are going to get or just to show everybody how much of a talented young player he is with all these games. And it might just be that, you know, I, I would like him to say, I'm going to go out on a high. All these big games, I want to be involved. You know, in March, just just besides that Carabao Cup final, we've got a game against United. We've got a game against Chelsea. We've got a game on the 4th of April against Liverpool. We have so many big games coming up. I want Leroy Sanit to feel that he wants to be involved and it might just be that'll push Raheem Sterling to get back to the level he was um, earlier in the season than he was last season. Colin Savage, in the firestorm of um, the Twitter uh, abuse that came after this particular performance, there was one player that seemed to emerge fairly unscathed and that was Ilkay Gundogan. Um, a lot of people saying that um, despite all of the hurly-burly, he, this was a player that was like a Rolls-Royce that um, was uh, fairly unaffected by it all. And what, what did you think of uh, Ilkay's performance? I thought he had a solid performance. He always uh, generally does. He always has a few moments where he's putting passes uh, astray. I think we said that the other day. But um, he's always such a solid, calm performer and always looking to um, to, to move forward, isn't he? And um, I, I think he's a very clever player as well. And I was watching him last night. Some very, very clever passes and... Um, you know, he's always generally calm under pressure and uh, not, not really reduced to hoofing the ball away. So, yeah, I, I thought he had a perfectly acceptable game last night. We weren't up to our high standards by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, I don't think Gundogan can take any of the blame for that. Um, Ray, could we talk about the Matic goal and... Um what, what what did you think? I think we've got to address it. Um, now, that seemed to be a cross-in from the left, headed out by Bernardo Silva, and yeah. just a snapshot. Well, yeah, it's kind of headed, 
was it sideways rather than out of the box? Went and it ended up at the um, in that left back position. Um, it hit right into the corner. <laughs> Look, um, Bravo didn't save it. First shot, uh, first goal, um, first shot on target. And people criticised him. Um, I heard one ex-professional footballer before the game calling him a hologram. I think that was that Trevor Sinclair, ex-City player. I mean, you wouldn't expect that. But would he, would Edison have saved it? I'm not so sure. I think, you know, Bravo is an easy target. And we, we talked about this in the City side. Past it used to be Mahrez, it used to be Gundogan, also Mendy, Stones. Uh, if people want to pick on somebody, they can say, well, they're not doing, you know, whatever, and they're not good enough. And you get that with Bravo as well. So Bravo could pull off five or six world-class saves. He makes one mistake, people will focus upon that. Whether he could or should have saved that, I don't know. I honestly don't know. There was an incident right uh, towards right at the end of the game with about two minutes to go. I think it was was it Ottoman that committed a foul just outside. I was just I was just about to mention that Ray. Um, I've never seen a dressing down like that since the last time that I was on stage uh, in a in a play uh, trying to act for uh, Queen's University and and got my lines mixed up. I'm, I'm going to talk about, forget about what Ottoman did in KDB for a second, what Bravo did. Now, he lined up his wall. It's what, it's what I expect and what I've always remembered in, in football for about 40, year, 40 years. He lined up his wall. The purpose of that one, they protect one post. And the, goal, the goalkeeper stands near the other post to protect that side of the goal. Now, if a, uh, a striker can lift it above the wall and uh, uh, into the net on the side that the goalkeeper isn't, usually we used to turn around and say, well done, the, uh, the striker. It's, uh, you know, because it, it's a difficult um, art to lift that ball above the wall and get it back down again and into the corner of the goal. And I think Bravo was standing where he should have been, two-thirds of the way uh, along, letting his wall do its job. But you had people in the crowd criticising him, and people subsequently, I saw it seen on social media, criticising Bravo for his positioning. You know, what do they want? Do they want him to stand in the middle and not be sure where to go? The wall has has a job. He must have lined the wall up pretty well. People are looking for any excuse because he's just an easy person to scapegoat and criticise. And if you want to criticise anybody, (laughs) just as an amusing aside, that wall, when the ball hits somebody in that wall, you have two minutes to go, okay? The ball rebounded out to a United player. What's the, the first thing you should do? Doesn't matter where it hit you, hold your face, hold your head, and collapse to the deck. The referee has to stop the game immediately. I'm not a cheat. I'm not advocating uh, you know, a, a little bit of sportsmanship. But you, you've got to hit the deck, holding your head, and the referee's got to stop the game, and it'll end up with um, you, uh, Man City passing the ball back to Man United somewhere near the halfway line. The danger's gone. Time's been wasted. That's the professional thing to do. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about um, Sergio Cunaguero in this game, um, Colin? Um, he wasn't, well, it's, it's an interesting one because, um, Aguero normally loves playing against United. He had one good chance that was saved, um, one he hit the side netting, but he did an awful lot of chasing down. Uh, when you, when you kind of watched it back from what I saw, uh, he was very, um, mobile up front, which we don't usually get from Sergio. Well, I don't usually get that. That's the way he's changed his game under Pep. And, um, and the interesting thing was looking at him the last 10, 15 minutes, he definitely slowed down. And I don't understand why we didn't bring Gabriel Jesus on at that point. Uh, so, so Aguero wasn't perhaps the most productive night in terms of goals for, for our, you know, ace goal scorer. But I, I thought um, that the work he did off the ball was, was um, pretty commendable. 
uh, and, and why we left. I'm not sure why we left him on as long as we did, because uh, I think we, you know, you could have brought someone like Foden on, you could have brought someone like Gabby J on, who would do that chasing down much more energetically. Ray, did um, did our fans let us down a little bit at, in this game and, and put another stain on our sort of reputation? That one for me. Yeah, that's for you. Oh, <laughs> I thought so. Um, well, they've not helped, have they? I mean, there are plenty uh, of videos about at the moment uh, uh, on social media of City fans with their uh, playing gestures. And, uh, uh, you know, it is, it's not nice. And um, there is an argument that, you know, some of the fans doing this are very young. They don't know about the history. Uh, that city lost uh, was it Frank Swift in uh, in in the Munich air disaster? I think Frank Swift was a keeper for for Man City who went on to be a um, a journalist, I believe, and he was reporting on on on, on the game. He perished as well, and it, it's irrespective of whether there are any City players. It was a disaster that you don't need to mock. You shouldn't be mocking. And so I don't care about the ages or, or whatever. And why these people are the idiots, absolute idiots, um, buffoons, um, to keep thinking that, look, guys, you might think something, but why do it? Why do it? The CCTV, these people with phones, you're going to get caught. And at best, you're just going to be banned from from City. You'll you'll get you'll be banned. You lose your season card, whatever. But why are you idiots doing it? And you and what annoys me just as much is when you get people coming on social media, in effect, defending them and saying, "Well, well, those United fans, they threw a smoke bomb or they threw a seat. Uh, it's only banter. It's a derby, and, and these things happen." No. It doesn't matter that it's a derby and these things happen. Uh, and I'll tell you a story about my son, my youngest son. He's 11 years old. And he used to go a lot with me to games. Now, he's not as much into football as he used to be, but he, he was happy to go to a derby to, to watch the game against United. He's still a season card holder. He'll still go to, I suspect, eight or ten games a season, whether it's academy games, whether it's women's football, whether it's men's football. So he'll still go to some games, but he's not as keen as he used to be when he was uh, much younger uh, and he's but he's, he's been going since he was two so he's, he's done some some of the hard yards um, now he goes to games he doesn't like the noise he, he has a problem with that so he's, he's sat sitting in the stands with me wearing his headphones ten minutes in into the game he says Papa I, this is going to be my last game I don't want to come to, to football matches anymore he wasn't happy and he said this is where I learn all my swear words at these games and yes, you expect a little bit of industrial language and uh, at games and, and some abuse being thrown at uh, opposition fans. But it, sometimes it's just too much. Yes, it's Man United. Yes, they're bitter, hated rivals of ours. But sometimes fans go a little bit too far. And some of the things that they were coming out with, you know, look, I'm in my 50s. I grew up in a rough area uh, in Oldham. Uh, and every other word we said was a swear word. And, you know, and, and I was well known for throwing in swear words. It, it, whenever there was a long word to say, I, I used to be, uh, throw a four-letter word in, in between that. That's how we grew up. But you can grow out of that. Yeah. You can move on. And some people just don't want to move on. And, they, you know, and they do lower it too much. And as I said, I'm not going to say, you know, don't do it, but it's just it's just happening so much, and it's so much uh, vitriol, and it's it's not just banter. I don't mind a bit of banter, it's but it's there is a line, and people are going well over that line. Uh, and I've, I've said it in the past, last season, where you, you you know there's been racist language, not by too many people, but there's been racist language at games, and it's not needed. And you know people just think, oh, I'm at the football. 
um, we're losing, we're not playing well or whatever it is. So I'm entitled to come out and abuse players or abuse fans. It's too much. I'm not saying it's going to stop, but, you know, what I hope is we catch the guys who are doing the playing gestures, we catch the guys who are throwing flares, throwing seats, whether Man United, whether Man City, wherever they are, um, and we ban them, and I hope we ban them for life. Colin Savage, um, could we just um, get a bit of historical context uh, here because um, you will be very well aware of the, what happened with the, the, the plane crash and the, the disaster. But um, how long was it after that, in your memory, that you recall City fans sort of taunting their rivals by making gestures like that? Uh, it's hard to say. Uh, I wouldn't like to say for sure, but... Um... I, well, I, mean, I think I, I don't think we're talking I don't, about the late seventies, early eighties, maybe. I don't know. I don't remember too much of it in the seventies. Yeah, I you know I went to a lot of derby games at both um, Main Road and Old Trafford back in the seventies, eighties, and I don't remember much of it to be honest. But maybe I was just kind of very sheltered in those days. So you know, well, maybe some more recent things. Would it would it have possibly have been in the era of Ferguson because he wound everyone up very very tight? I don't know. Uh, I really don't know. I say it's um, it didn't certainly didn't start straight after the event. So I think we may be looking at the the nineties. That I remember. I think this sort of thing coming, you know, coming out. I don't. I, I don't know. Isn't it? I'm going to say, guys, what what puzzles me is um, if it happened now, okay, and I'll I'll give you another a sad incident um, that happened just over a year ago, the Emiliano Sala uh, uh, plane crash, and fans are coming out and doing this sort of thing. At least in the old days, it took a while. It took years before, and sometimes many, many years, abusive like that. Now it just seems like since happened, let's start the abuse straight away, and it, it almost starts straight away. And if it happened now, it you know, and what you can see, and the videos I've seen, they all look youngish. You know, certainly nobody looks more older than thirty, thirty-five. They all look youngish. I don't know what compels makes compels them to do this. Um, it is offish behaviour. It is it's just a step too far. I'm going to finish off the the pod with a very very controversial question that these guys are, will get their teeth into. I'm absolutely sure. But um, there's been a tweet by Mark Goldbridge, and uh, you know all about Mark Goldbridge. But he's talking about the fact that United with their momentum <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and and uh, their their new signing in Bruno Fernandes he's making the argument that united i think it's a sensible enough argument that they need to get uh, Maurizio Pochettino in as soon as possible uh, probably in the summer to lead their resurgence now i think it was there was some particular city fan or other that i remember in the last couple of games that says we should beat them to that now that's a that's a fascinating thing to for any city fan to have said oh, what do you think about that first of all colin savage uh, i'm not sure pochettino is the manager for us uh, i don't think his style is that sim- is similar enough to peps but I, I did hear a story that United approached Pochettino at the time they were... Well, Solskjaer was the interim manager and doing quite well. And United offered him the job, but with a fairly... What he considered a fairly derisory uh, salary package, which I think was less than Marco Silva was on at um, Everton at the time. And so he kind of said, uh, not not that sum. Uh, they went to Pochettino, they went to Spurs, who Pochettino was still the manager at Spurs at that point, uh, asked Daniel Levy for permission to talk to Pochettino. Uh, Daniel Levy asked Pochettino, who said, I'm not interested. 
So they had to go back to Solskjaer with a better offer. I, I'm not convinced that looking at, I'm not convinced that Pochettino wants to go there. But I suppose if you throw enough money at someone, you can change the mind, can't that? But no, 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 not Pochettino's not our guy, I don't think. Is is it feasible? Is it even conceivable that City fans should be looking past Pep and thinking who the next manager w- w- should be? I mean, half the problem is, is obviously, we've, we've discussed it in the past, is the media and their narrative, their agenda. Uh, you know, they've been uh, wanting to have a go up Pep. The first season he came here, they, they said he wouldn't succeed with his brand of football. And they, they called him all sorts of names. And they rejoiced. Uh, you know, they got on their tables and danced away um, when we struggled that first season. You know, and they enjoyed it so much. The next two seasons, they must have really, really hated um, and you can see the questioning at press conferences. You know, it's it's got terrible. At least Manuel Pellegrini just played it with a straight bat. It got to a stage where the, the press really didn't want to come to cover his press conferences because they were wasting the time. And I think, it, you know, a few of them stopped coming. With Pep, they're coming because they poke him a little bit. He reacts. Uh, sometimes he doesn't react. And sometimes, you know, he does give these uh, short answers. That, and, and then they use the fact that he's not letting their poking of him affect him too much to criticize him again in their, in their newspapers and uh, online and in the media or whatever to say he's, you know, he's uh, grumpy or, or whatever. Um, so they'll keep poking him. And, and that, that's something that uh, frustrates me. The talk of Poch. Well, if it was to come now to anybody, it's obviously going to cost them 12 million quid as compensation to uh, Spurs. United are tight-fisted at times, you know, with that derisory offer to Poch before. He's not won out. Fair enough. You've got to start somewhere, but he's been in the game a while. So we don't know what to believe. If You, you know, if you ignore most of what's in the press, you'll, you'll probably live a more peaceful, satisfying life, uh, which is what I'm, I'm, I try to do. Mm. Um, but look, if it's... if if we say that money is no object, and you throw on a real curveball as here, Mike, by by mentioning Poch, if money is no object and people will move for money, surely, surely to goodness, uh, we should be offering Mr. Jurgen Klopp fifty million pounds a year to come to Manchester. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're we're not going to talk about Klopp. We're not going to mention the name Brendan Rodgers again. But I am going to press Colin Savage a little bit and say, Colin, purely hypothetical, of course. We hope that Pep stays with us forever. Yeah. But in the event that he decided to trot off and manage some um, international team, probably Brazil, in in my view, or Italy. Where does City go after Pep? Well, he, you're not going to get better than Pep, are you? I mean, I, I made the point in um, King of the Kipax article a while ago that some people have queried this, say, you know, we need a bit of freshening up. I think there is a bit of a rebuilding job to do. We've seen the team is not as fresh this season. Company's gone. David Silva's going at the end of the season. Fernandinho and Aguero maybe got another season left. Well, we know Fernandinho's got another season left and Aguero definitely got another season left but you know in the next couple of seasons they'll be gone so you know the core of the team uh, will will have gone I don't want to be Jeremy Paxman but I do note that no. you're not answering the question Colin where do we go from Pep mm-hmm. I don't know we go it's a difficult one to answer because what, one of the things we, we've criticised United for is having had this very successful manager failure to have a succession plan failure to have someone who could do what Ferguson did and I think the problem is there wasn't anyone who could do what Ferguson did or, or if you take the cynical view like I do Ferguson actually threw a curveball at the Glazers by getting to appoint David Moyes <laughs> um, I, I have some evidence for that actually but I won't go into that now but um, you know they've had 
Van Halen, they've had Mourinho, and they uh, they they've been they've had limited success. So they both won something, but they're, they're not challenging for the title under those two. Apart from that second place, nineteen points behind us, finish. Where do we go? I don't know. As I say, it's um, hopefully, hopefully we've got the everything depends on Pep, doesn't it? Pep is yes. the man who thinks these things through. We, we go somewhere else. Do we go for someone who is like Pep, a, a foreign I coach? I told you not to mention that I've name. I've got a name. No, no, no. Or, you know, let's talk about Van Bronckhurst. I've got a name do, for you guys. Do, do we bring back Do we bring back Arteta? What if, about... he, if he does well at Arsenal? Oh, I, I don't know. Okay. And here's your name. I think, I think, I think we give it to Giggsy for the rest of the season. <laughs> <laughs> at least till the end of the season. Yeah, at least. No, the thing is, Arteta won't come back. I've, I've said this before. I'll be shocked. If he's a success at Arsenal, why would he come back to City? It depends what your class is a success, doesn't it? Because a success at Arsenal is getting them back into the top four. Yeah, that's a, that's his time point. If he's yeah. a failure at Arsenal, do we want to bring back a failure? That's my concern. Ray, when, when, here's my yeah. question. You, we've talked about whether the Catalan group um, have got a succession plan for Sergio Aguero. Do you think that they've got a succession plan decides to trot off? Because... Um, in Mustard. Uh, or, or are they going to um, are they going to trot off with him? I, I, well, look, they've been here a long time. I'm just trying to remember when Ferran Soriano came to City. It must have been, uh, I was hoping Colin would jump to my aid there and say, this is when Ferran came to City. October um, 2012, I think it was. 12, that's what I was going to say, yeah. uh, back 2012. Um, look, Ferran is young. He's still, I mean, he's, uh, he's, he's very young. He's a very young 52 years old. So he's still got a lot of energy. Is, is, is 50, 52 young then? Okay, so I, I was just um, uh, but I was thinking it, I'm still, it, I'm, I'm still young. I'm still young, guys. Ferran is young. Look, CFG, the City Football Group, was his idea. Barcelona poo-pooed it. Nobody really uh, was interested in his idea of having this brand all over the world. He's still developing it. Pep's just turned 49. So they're still mileage in all of these I can't see them all leaving unless they go to another. It has to be an, a, a, a major project. I don't really see them starting off something again. Now it could be that the all you, you could be right. I mean that really would that would be like David Gillen, uh, Solarix Ferguson uh, leaving at the same time for United, and you can see what mess it's left them in. You'd hope that they've got a, a plan in place. You know, if Pep does say right, I'm off. So they'll they'll have some names. You know, whether it's from home or abroad. There are some good names. I don't think we're going to move backwards. Ray, Ray, um, Ray, I've got a name. I've got a name for you. And I'm going to test uh, you and Colin Savage on this. Here we go. Now, in the event, in the event that Pep decides to leave Manchester City, can you think of a particular youngish manager, just as felt and just as skinny as Pep? And he's kind of like a mixture between Mancini and Guardiola. And I'll give you three guesses who I'm thinking about. Hmm. Uh, the Spani- the sp- that's the one. That's the one I was thinking of. You got it. What do you think it about? What do you think about that? Who was that? Luis Enrique. Luis Enrique. I don't think he'll come in this year on it. Certainly not if it was the end of this season. He's back as a Spain manager. No, uh, I, I, I'm talking about the end of Pep's contract, not 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 imminently, but. Um, Obviously, I'd I, I, I still be surprised. I, I think um, he, he he'll stay in Spain. Obviously, um, he had that tragedy with his young daughter, uh, didn't he? I was trying to find the right words. He had the tragedy where his 
daughter, young daughter passed away. That's obviously, uh, you know, caused him a lot, a lot, a lot of pain when he, he stepped down from the Spain manager. Now he's taking that back on. And I, I don't know whether he'd want to uproot um, his family and, and come to, uh, to England. Uh, I mean, you, you know, we, we can't discount family in all of this. We've seen the problems Pep's had with his family. His older kids are fine. It's his wife and his younger daughter uh, have been um, pretty bored, uh, I think, being in Manchester. So you, you can't ignore, you know, what the situation is going to be with, with his family as well. I wonder, uh, I wonder just, Ray and Colin, if City would do something really, really daring, like go back to the past. And I'm thinking here of, um, you know, Mancini is doing very, very well with this young Italian team. And um, I, I'm going to tell you about a dream I had a couple of nights ago. In my dream, I don't know why, I think it might have been something that Colin Savage said, I woke up one morning, a little bit like I did back in 2008, when we first learned about the takeover, but there's in my dream, there's this big banner headline on, on Sky News, and it says, Unfinished Business, and uh, there's a big big picture of a smiling Sven Goran Eriksson there. What I was going to say, sorry guys, uh, to go back, but if we're going to have a shake-up, we're going to have, you know, change things around. I think that could easily start by getting in a number two, a new number two, which will spice things up a little bit and potentially use that as a succession. You, you, don't, think, you don't think Rodolfo Burrell is uh, spicy enough? He's he a spicy meatballs is Rodolfo. So I'm, you, know, you were talking about someone who's going to be here, you know, a, a youngish manager. He doesn't, how old, I'm trying to think, Rodolfo. He's only 48, Rodolfo. He's, he's actually younger than Pep. You wouldn't believe that when you, if you looked at the pair of them together. But I don't know. I mean, you know, could we go out and get one of the old, you know, um, ex-Spain players like Iniesta or uh, Xavi? Or, you know, I can't even remember where they're all up to these days. Um, you know, could it be in a couple of years' time if they have some success where they are. I mean, Xavi's only 40 years old. He's a manager in, is he still a manager in Qatar? Now, if he has, you know, some success and they think he's, he's a possibility, could it be that we get Xavi in in a couple of years' time? You know, uh, what about Iniesta? Iniesta, he's still, uh, he's, I think he's still playing. He's only 35. Colin you know, Savage, who, who was that number two to um, Mourinho who's out in, um, in the Gulf at the moment? That um, apparently oh. uh, everyone is talking about. He's been given a really, you know, a fantastic deal. Rui Costa. Rui Costa. That's the one. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of talk about uh, the fact that this guy has got a very, very bright future. Guys, we really, we're, we're he's young. He's young. We're we're really drifting down a hole, aren't we, guys? Um, Rui Costa's 47. Yeah. Is that the one? Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. Um, he was the disciplinarian uh, apparently under the, the uh, eye Mourinho. poker, wasn't he? <laughs> uh, no, no, that was Mourinho. Mourinho was the eye poker. Um, oh, I thought it was. It was not Rui Costa. No, that was uh, that was actually Mourinho. But uh, guys, right. it, it just shows you what what kind of a hole that we're disappearing down. No, I don't. I say we, we don't want to look down uh, into the precipice because you know we see Manchester United, you know, and I don't want to look down there. Guys, I think that would probably be a good point for for you guys to kick us off the air. But um, yeah. So what's the next uh, couple of games uh, for us? Up next, Colin Savage. Uh, well, we've got Spurs on Sunday afternoon, and West Ham at home. That's correct. West Ham so at home on the 
uh, on the is it Saturday? It's quite funny, guys, because yeah. this, this will give me my chance to to air my 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 meme that I used to do when City were playing against uh, United when Mourinho was in charge. Because where when Mourinho first came, you guys might remember there was this whole big build up about Pep versus Guardiola, Pep versus Mourinho. Sorry, Pep versus Mourinho. And uh, you might remember that um, a lot of people cons- considered that um, uh, Mourinho had forced Pep out because he had just gotten to him. He'd gotten to him, and uh, there's all these mind games. But anyway, there's a very, very famous uh, meme, and it was two two guys with um, with rifles back to back. And uh, I think it was a, an a, an Italian meme or a, Sp- a Spanish meme, and it said El Juelo or the the jewel. And of course, that didn't last very long. But um, we've got the two of them up against each other in the next game, Ray. How do you see that going? Well, as long as Pep doesn't overthink things, um, we should be hopeful of a positive result, even though we're away from home. Spurs, they've they've won one of their last five league games. Drawn two, lost two. But we play Uh, play teams into form, Ray. You've got to remember that. Well, hopefully not. You know, I mean, we've won four out of our last five. So... Um, that's we're going into it well. They're 17 points behind us, but they're knocking on the door of that fourth. They can see that fourth uh, Champions League spot. Chelsea currently hold it with 40 points. Spurs are on 34, as are Man United and Wolves. Sheffield United one point further behind. So Tottenham have to look at that game. They don't want to go in that game to get a draw. They need to go look at that game to win it. So they've got to go out to uh, to try and win it. We are, and I've said this against uh, for all for every single game we played this season, apart from uh, one. We just not, but we are a far better team than Spurs. If we put in a, a, a decent performance, and we've seen it at times this season, we've put in some sparkling performances, like when we played Spurs uh, uh, the first time when we we actually drew to all uh, the Etihad. had. They had two shots on target, scored two goals. We had. Tw- I think 29 shots in total scored two goals. We should have absolutely pummeled them. Watford style pummeling that day. They got lucky. Um, so, you know, you've got to go into, into that game and say we should be winning it. And we've got to be winning it. I, you know, I want to finish this season playing better football and winning every game we go for. Um, and starting against Spurs um, at the weekend. Colin Savage, so when you think about this game, do you think as certain managers have done down the ages. Lads, it's only Tottenham. <laughs> yeah, no, um, you don't, because it's Mourinho, isn't it? But, yeah, it, he doesn't seem to be having the desired impact, does he, really? So, um, uh, we've, really? We, you know, we've, we've been reasonably comfortable at Spurs in the last few seasons. I don't uh, I don't want to sound confident, but we, we have been. Um, but they're always a difficult team. Uh, and at the moment, the way we're playing at the moment, and we're not taking chances... Um, who knows? When is the big break, guys, that we get a couple of weeks off? Is that post after West Ham? After West Ham? Okay. Yeah, after the after West Ham game on the 9th, um, which I think it's next Sunday, the West Ham game. After the West Ham game, uh, we don't play again till the 22nd um, of March. So we've basically got, uh, I think, a couple of weeks off. Uh, I will just throw in that we do have in the middle of all that, we've got the FA Cup fifth round women's game between Man City women and Ipswich women. So there's no men's game that weekend. I mean, we really should be looking to get in a few thousand at uh, the CFA Stadium for that game. OK, guys. Well, I think that uh, that long uh, break that uh, Ray mentioned there and, and Colin mentioned, that'll be when you'll hear from us um, with Dr. Gary James talking about the uh, the women's game and also... 
uh, part three and the final part of our series on the Franny Lee years. That's probably a good um, a good uh, opportunity yes. for us to get those in. Right, Cole? Yep, that would be a good opportunity, yeah. Absolutely. So before we finish off, we're nearly two hours every time we do these pods, and um, you guys seem to be appreciating it, and we appreciate you. Before we finish off, um, are there any extraneous matters that we want to talk about, or are we going to finish it just at this I, point? Just a few things about the game I don't think we've talked about um, adequately. And um, one is David Silver's yeah. inexplicable decision yeah. to pass the ball to Gundogan when he had a perfect shooting I opportunity. Think, yeah, that to, gave Guardiola a heart attack, didn't it? <laughs> which kind of made me think, this game is a fix. You know, We've agreed with United that we're not going to score. Because why would you do that? That was just bizarre. I know, I know we, we characterised David Silva, great player as he is. And it was the right decision to bring him on. Because it just reminds me of another thing. that uh, One of the things we were talking about at the match was, with that defence we had, we really didn't have anyone who could bring the ball out in the way that um, Stones or Laporte might be able to do. So, so we were stuttering a bit because um, the defence wasn't really... Uh, defence and the midfield weren't really linking properly, which meant the, mid, yeah, the midfield and the attack. Weren't, weren't linking properly as often as they, they normally are. Uh, so so I thought David Silva was the right man to bring on at that point because he gives us that space in between the lines to to, to receive the ball and, and to do something with it. But that that was just bizarre. You know, one of the criticisms that has been, the only criticism you can be levelled at David Silva is that he's a bit shot shy occasionally. But we know he scored some great goals for us. And why he did that, I do not know, unless, I say, there was a fixing to, for, for United to keep a clean sheet. Um, we, we talked slightly about the Otamendi foul uh, with two minutes to go, and uh, Kevin De Bruyne rightly giving him some um, stick over that. And that's what I want to see from a captain. Um, because, you know, we've seen Otamendi's brain farts before, haven't we? You know, he'll play 89 minutes and 30 seconds uh, being a warrior. The, and the, then, the funny the, thing about that, Colin, was um, he got such a dressing down by yeah. uh, Kevin De Bruyne, but at the end of the game, the next picture I saw up on Twitter was um, Otamendi with his fists in the air, you know, uh, about the fact that we'd qualified for the final, and uh, uh, there's something admirable about that, isn't there, that you've yeah, committed yeah, yeah. such, a, such a terrible, uh, almost game-deciding foul, and then you can just blow it off like 10, yeah. 10 seconds later. Well, yeah, it was. I think it was relief, wasn't it? But it was Harry Maguire on the ball. And let, let's, with the great respect to Harry Maguire, he's not going to do a couple of step overs, Cruyff turn and beat three men and lash a shot into the roof of the net. Uh, you know, he had absolutely no need to step out and, and stick his foot out. And at that point, what he thought he was doing, I do not know. And we were quite lucky that Fred took that free kick and not Matter, yeah. because Matter would have had a much better, much better chance of burying it. Uh, so I think we're all, if they got, you know, if that taking that, they take that game to penalties, that would have, that really would have been a robbery, I think. But but that, these things happen in football. And the other thing which, which caught my eye, and I think it led to that free kick incident. I'm not quite sure whether there was a linkage or not. But later on, we've got a goal kick. If you remember the Crystal Palace game, we talked about Edison hoofing the ball long. Crystal Palace player heading it back, losing tackles, and the ball's in the back of the net. And with a few minutes to go, and I think it was before, just before that Oftamendi incident, Bravo did the same thing again. You know, everyone was gathered on the, the left-hand side of the pit. Uh, Bravo hoofed it. Now, we got away with it, I think, this time. It was a couple of times, actually, Bravo was quite clever. He hoofed the ball clear, but he hoofed it into touch. 
70 yards down the field when we were under a bit of pressure. And that's great. I'm happy with that because it allows you to reset, puts a, a lot of distance between them and the goal uh, and all our players. Colin, Sam, yeah, Alex yeah, would yeah, be yeah. proud of you. But I don't understand why he hoofed the ball from a goal kick at that point when, again, all we've got to do is keep possession for a few minutes. Uh, that was inexplicable. So that, that's all I've got on my list. Yeah, I think that we didn't really cover those uh, incidents adequately. Uh, anything else from um, uh, Mr. Ray a Bubbles? Quick, a couple of quick things. Uh, there's more about the game, but it's gone now for, for me. I'm, I'm moving on. I'm looking forwards. City women, it's like the League Cup. Yeah, so City women lost against Arsenal women last night. Uh, 2-1 at Boreham Wood. So they're out of the Continental Cup. It was a semi-final stage, which is a shame because we were the holders of uh, that competition. And uh, come across my timeline a few hours ago that City are buying uh, another kid from Brazil, uh, a kid called Jan Cuoto, I believe, 17 years old. Apparently, we've submitted a bid with add-ons of about 15 million euros. Barcelona offered about 5 million. Feeling is... Uh, it's going to be rubber stamps in the next few days. But he's all your kid. Uh, you know, he's not, not somebody who's going to be thrust into the uh, limelight right now. Uh, but yeah, we're still going out buying players. We've still got a, a few quid in the bank. Well, that's probably a, a nice point for us to finish on, guys. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, we'll be back with you again after the next game, as we always uh, do. And before we do that, we'll just say adieu uh, to... Uh, the two very much valued members of the Bolt from the Blue podcast that bring these recordings to you. You've been listening to number one, and Mr. Colin Savage. Colin, thank you so much for coming on. Always a pleasure, and I'm sure we'll speak again after Sunday's game. Absolutely. And we, we also have been listening to Mr. Ray Bubbles from the YouTube channel City Fan TV. Thank you so much, Ray. Thank you very much, Mike and Colin. Always a pleasure. Guys, we'll be back with you, as the lads have said, after the next game on Sunday. So until then, we'll say, as usual, have one on us and up the blues. Finished at Sunderland. Manchester United have done all they can. That's really good enough for the three points. Manchester City is still alive here.